The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com slash connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen, amen. We're in for a treat tonight. Uh, My friend Kent Bateman is in the house. If y'all can help me welcome Kent. Yeah, Kent, you can go on, come on up. Kent is uh, the pastor of preaching and vision at a church called City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was going to say down in Knoxville, but I guess it's up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, City Church and Citizens Church share the same sending church. So Midtown Fellowship, a church in Columbia, South Carolina that sent us up here to plant citizens, also sent Kent and a team up about a little over five years ago to Knoxville to plant City Church, and the Lord has been abundantly kind to us. I remember telling Kent uh, right when they had gotten started that uh, as we were thinking about planting and and following in their footsteps, I said, Kent, y'all got to do it because if y'all don't do it, I'm going to be too nervous to do it ourselves. And so y'all need to succeed. The Lord needs to bless y'all so that we know that we can step into it as well. Uh, And the Lord has been abundantly kind and faithful to them as they've sought to be a a Jesus-centered family on mission with him in downtown Knoxville. Uh, So he's going to bring the word for us. Before he does that, I would love to pray for him. If you would join me in that prayer by extending a hand towards Kent uh, as we pray for him as he gets ready to preach. God, thank you for who you are. And thanks for Jesus that we get to lift high, that we get to to celebrate that he is our our hiding place and our safe refuge. Or would you be with us tonight? God, would you be with Kent as he opens up your word, teaches to us on hospitality, on welcoming in the stranger from Luke 19? Or would you give us eyes to see how you have welcomed us in first? that we have been welcomed, we have been called sons and daughters, so that we, now we can turn around and welcome others. Lord, would you be with him, bless him, give him the words to speak, Lord. We love you. Give us ears to hear. Paralysis sings in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, man. Well, it is an honor to be here with you guys uh, this evening. I'm, it's going to take a second to get used to saying this evening. If I say morning, uh, just pretend like I didn't say that. Um, but man, like Tim said, we uh, we come from the same church uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, a lot of you guys were part of that church. It's been cool just to see some familiar faces here, uh, more than I thought, actually. And so it's been cool as I've walked in to see a lot of you guys that I haven't seen in, gosh, at least five years. Um, and so it, it's really cool for me just to get to be here and, and kind of see you guys as a church family and what it feels like, what it looks like here on a Sunday. Um, it, because we are sibling churches, like you mentioned, uh, I don't know if any of you that have siblings have kind of had this experience, but I, I distinctly remember the first time that I visited my little brother. I have a little brother that's three years younger than me. 
And I remember the first time that I went to go visit him once both of us had kind of graduated from college and like situated into lives of our own and and it kind of transitioned into adulthood. I remember the first time that I went to visit him and just like looking around the life that he had established for himself as an adult and being like, wow, we, we really did it. Like we became adults. Like d- despite our best efforts to the contrary growing up, we really did become like at least mostly functioning adults on our own. And so I think in a way that's kind of what it feels like to be with you guys. I think it's cool to, to look around and just see a different expression of the church and the church family and sort of the DNA that both of our churches came from, but at the same time, a lot of similarities and how we think about things and how we talk about things and how we approach the scriptures and practices in the way of Jesus. Uh, And so it's really, really cool to be here uh, this evening. Uh, Excited to be with y'all and share a little bit from the scriptures. That's probably the only time I'll do it right the the entire time. So don't get used to it. Uh, But I felt like before we got started uh, and, and dive into the scriptures, I just feel like we would be amiss if we didn't acknowledge that there's a birthday in the room. Mr. Tim Olson is turning, is it 54? 55. Either way, he doesn't look a day over 50. Uh, he's doing great. Uh, he, I, I think we all can recognize Tim for being just the incredible man that he is. I'm, I'm really thankful to know Tim, to be friends with him, to, to get to learn from him. Tim and I get to have uh, phone calls fairly regularly just to talk about how our churches are going and, and just to go, hey, I don't have a clue how to approach this. Can you help me here? Um, and it's just been incredible. I've benefited so much from his friendship, from his leadership. I know so many of you guys have too. So uh, just wanted to recognize him on his birthday. Uh, thank him for who he is. If you get a chance, I'm not going to lead us in singing happy birthday because none of you guys want to hear that with a mic on my face. That's just going to be bad. Um, But uh, if you get a chance, buy him a meal, buy him a cup of coffee, buy him a beanie for his head because I mean, as good as it looks, it's going to get cold outside, right? And you're going to need it. So wanted to recognize Tim. Uh, I would love to get into Luke 19 with you. If you have a Bible, if you haven't already turned there, uh, go with me to Luke chapter 19. Uh, Tim was gracious enough uh, to just ask me to come share on uh, anything that I felt like would be helpful uh, to you guys as a church family and kind of where you guys are at in the church planting process. And and so as sort of the older sibling in the relationship, so to speak, uh, I wanted to just bring to you guys something that has been really, really core to who we are at City Church uh, and kind of how we approach ministry and and really, I think, has, has been absolutely formative from day one and and who we want to be there in Knoxville. And that's the idea of biblical hospitality. Now, chances are when you hear the word hospitality, uh, it brings certain images to mind that may or may not be helpful. So I think we tend to think of hospitality as some combination of hosting and entertaining and feeding people in our home or apartment, right? So if you're a little bit older in the room, maybe when you hear the word hospitality, you think of something like this. So that's Martha Stewart, I believe, in her pre-prison years. Uh, she went to prison. Like, that's common knowledge. It's not an insult. It's just a fact. She went to prison. But uh, maybe if you're a little bit younger in the room, maybe that's not familiar to you. If you're a little bit younger in the room, you may think of something more like this. Chip and Joanna and their Magnolia Empire. They have a whole TV channel now. Isn't that crazy? 
So maybe you think about that. Uh, if you're a little bit younger than that still, maybe you think of like you and your three best friends hanging out in front of your LED plant wall or something. I don't really know. I'm, I'm too old to know what people do these days, but uh, maybe you think of something like that. But w- whatever it is, we just have certain images that come into our mind when we think about the word hospitality. But whatever images come to your mind when I say that word, Uh, Right from the start, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to do your best to not think about any of that for a moment. I I need us to try to start with a blank slate this evening because the word hospitality in our society has come to mean some things, I think, that that aren't bad things. They're, They're not wrong things. They just aren't quite what the Bible means when it uses that word. And and I want us to focus on what the Bible means when it brings up the word hospitality. That's what I want us to dive into tonight. So, So maybe you are really good at the American version of hospitality. Maybe your apartment looks like something straight out of an Ikea magazine, right? Maybe Maybe your house looks like Chip and Joanna just left after doing their best work. Maybe you're really good at making like these quasi-healthy but still really delicious meals every time people come over that they just talk about for weeks. And if you're good at any and all of that, listen, go you, okay? I'm not trying to take that away from you at all. I would love to have your help maybe the next time I have people over to my house because I am not good at any of those things. None of that is bad. They just aren't the essence of what biblical hospitality is. You may use some of those things to show biblical hospitality, but they aren't the essence of it. They're just expressions of biblical hospitality. So you can show hospitality in those ways, but you can also show hospitality in dozens of other ways. In fact, you can show hospitality to people without even owning a home or an apartment at all because biblical hospitality is something altogether different. And that's what we're gonna see in today's passage. I want to try to show you that this morning through the story of a man who showed what I think is the most incredible hospitality that this world has ever seen without ever owning a house and without cooking a single thing. That man's name just happens to be Jesus. I want us to look at that from Luke chapter 19. Before we do, I'd love to pray for us. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. for all that they teach us and show us and guide us into about who you are and the life that you have for us. God, we thank you that they demonstrate to us the love of a father that is greater than anything we've ever known. And so God, I know people come into this room with all sorts of hurt and all sorts of confusion and maybe even frustration about um, the church and just about their lives in general. God, we all, um, we all know what that feels like. And so, God, I just want to pray that in our time this evening that, that you would meet us where we're at, that you would bring hope and life and guidance through your word, and that you would show us more and more of who you are. We ask this in your name for your glory, for our good. Amen. All right, so let's work our way through this passage. Let's see what we can learn from the hospitality of Jesus. Luke 19, starting in verse one, here's what it says. He, he meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. 
And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who some of you may know as a wee little man. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he, Zacchaeus, ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for Jesus was about to pass that way. So chances are, even already at this point in the story, those of us who grew up in and around the church at all are at least a little bit familiar with this particular passage. In my church tradition, this passage came complete with illustrations and coloring books and catchy songs to accompany it, right? But at least most of the commentary that I remember from growing up on this particular passage sort of centered around the fact that Zacchaeus was short, right? That tended to be the focus of the story. He was a wee little man, according to the, the, the song, almost as if the primary point of the story was to say that Jesus loves short people too, which just for clarity, he does. If you're short in the room, he absolutely loves you. That's entirely true. It's just not exactly the point that the passage is making. The, the point of the story is actually not that Zacchaeus was short, the point of the story is that Zacchaeus was hated. The story tells us that he was, quote, a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So if you're unfamiliar with what that means exactly, tax collectors were not just IRS agents. It was a little bit worse than that. Sorry if you're an IRS agent in the room. But if you're unfamiliar with the idea of tax collectors, they, they were seen in their day and by their people as equal parts traitors and extortioners. So, so they had sold out their fellow countrymen to work for the oppressive occupying Roman government, and they were using that power and that status and that position to collect exorbitantly high taxes from their own people and generally taking significant cuts off the top of that for their own benefit to become rich. So just imagine with me as sort of a modern day equivalent that a foreign government is ruling over America in some sort of man in the high castle type situation. And one of your best friends decides to start working for that government. And that friend takes part in your oppression and becomes extremely wealthy doing that. Try to imagine how you would feel about that friend of yours as a result. You're probably not grabbing lattes with them once a week, right? Nor is anybody that you know going to do that. That's the situation that Zacchaeus was in. People hated him, and the Roman government simply used him. He was not exactly a guy with a lot of friends. So in the passage, when Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is passing through town, through Jericho, he wants to go see what this Jesus guy is all about. So he climbs up in a tree so that he can see over the crowd towards Jesus. And then this happens, verse five. And when Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Okay, I take that to mean, Zacchaeus, I would love to invite you over to dinner at my house, but I'm homeless, so it'll have to be at your place, right? And turns out Zacchaeus has plenty of money and plenty of house, so they hang out at Zacchaeus's house. It all works out well. Verse six says this, so Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. Verse seven, and when they, the crowds, and specifically the religious elite, 
out of the crowds. When they saw this, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Okay, so let's pause there for a second because what we just witnessed Jesus doing in this story, in a nutshell, is biblical hospitality. Hospitality is noticing a person that you don't know or a person that feels out of place or feels like they don't belong and then taking it upon yourself to do something about that situation. The word for hospitality in the Bible is the word philoxenian. It's actually a word made up of two other words, the word philos, meaning love, and the word xenos, meaning stranger or foreigner. So hospitality in the Bible literally means to love or care for or welcome the stranger. It's the exact opposite of the word xenophobia, which is the fear of or hatred of strangers. And notice at this point in the story how biblical hospitality actually has nothing to do with how your house looks or how awesome or how Instagrammable it is. And it also has nothing to do with your cooking, right? Jesus didn't have a house to welcome Zacchaeus into, and he didn't cook Zacchaeus a meal, and yet he still showed Zacchaeus hospitality. Uh, Again, if you're into all of that, if you're into cooking, if you're into hosting, great. You might be inclined towards using your beautiful home or your incredible cooking to show hospitality. That's great. It's just not required. The only thing that is required to show hospitality is a willingness to notice people and initiate friendship with them. Notice people and initiate friendship with them. To to recognize people around you who are new, which just for clarity, you guys are a new church. That's pretty much everybody. Everybody is new at this point. To notice people who are new or feel out of place or might feel excluded and seek those people out in order to make them feel like they belong. That is what biblical hospitality is. So practically speaking, hospitality is the intentionality with which you show up here on Sunday evenings and you seek out the people who look new or who you haven't met yet. Hospitality is the degree to which when a new person shows up to your community group, you take the initiative to introduce yourself first and get to know them and then maybe grab their number to hang out later. Hospitality is the speed with which you notice the person hanging out with your group of friends or, or your coworkers at work and you, you know that they feel like they don't belong and you see it as your responsibility to help them feel like they do belong. Hospitality is the desire and the intentionality with which you do all of those sorts of things. It is our willingness to make strangers into friends and then friends into family. Now, I know probably some of us hear all of that and we go, yeah, but that's just not how I'm wired. I'm introverted. I'm awkward. I I get uncomfortable meeting new people and it just doesn't go well when I do. And trust me, I of all people get that. This may be surprising to you given that I do this for a living, but I also am quite introverted and quite awkward in social settings. If I don't seem that way, it's just because over the years I've learned to be a high-functioning awkward person. So I get it. 
I, I get the feeling of that making me terribly uncomfortable when I go to introduce myself to the new person that I don't know. Or maybe for you, it's even more serious. Maybe you're one of the many people that experience social anxiety in those types of settings. I know that can be a very real, very crippling thing. And I think there are some ways to navigate all of that and still work to show hospitality. We're gonna to get to those here in just a second. So I wanna be sensitive to all of that for sure. But before we get to the practicals of that, I do want us to see that the way we are wired does not change the call from Jesus to participate in hospitality. Because this call towards hospitality isn't just found in the Gospel of Luke. It isn't just found in the life of Jesus. It's actually found all over the New Testament. I'll give you just a few examples up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Few different examples of us being encouraged to show hospitality in the scriptures. Romans 12, 13 says it this way. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, verse two says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Notice hospitality evidently is something you can forget to do. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. First Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling sounds like a word to my fellow introverts in the room, Right? So nearly any time the New Testament gives practical instructions to a community of followers of Jesus, somewhere in there is a reminder for them to show hospitality, to love and to welcome the strangers in their midst. It's such an important characteristic for followers of Jesus in the Bible that in the book of 1 Timothy, it lists hospitality as a qualification for the leaders of the church. Evidently, my church can fire me as a pastor if I am not regularly loving and welcoming the strangers in our midst, if I'm not regularly showing hospitality. That's how big of a deal it is to God. So your wiring or your personality or even your comfort level does not change the call from Jesus to show hospitality. It may just change how you participate in it. If you are introverted, Maybe you have one of your friends or one of your community group members who isn't introverted go with you to talk to that new person so that you don't have to go talk to them alone. If you are socially awkward, maybe instead of inviting someone out to dinner with just you, you invite them out to dinner with you and your spouse. This is a great solution for me. My wife is incredibly outgoing. And so I just have a habit. If I know it's gonna be awkward with that other person, I just say, come to dinner with me and my wife because she will, she will be able to welcome you in ways that I cannot possibly do. She's just way more outgoing than I am. If you get social anxiety, maybe instead of inviting people to something that's very conversationally heavy, you invite them to go see a movie with you and your community group. You invite them to watch a football game with you and your roommates. And there's five minutes of conversation at the beginning and then you're all watching something together. So the pressure is off of you. Maybe hospitality is something that you and your roommate or you and your spouse or you and somebody from your group go and do together. Any and all of that is completely fine when it comes to showing hospitality. But God still gives you and I and every other follower of Jesus the command to show hospitality. You, your wiring might change the way that you go about it, but it doesn't change whether or not you are called to do it. Every follower of Jesus is called to love and welcome the stranger. So 
maybe for some of us, that maybe the reason that you don't feel motivated to show hospitality regularly is because you feel like I've actually got all the friends that I need already. Maybe you're thinking, I, I moved here to Charlotte with like three of my best friends and we're good. We're all set in terms of friendships. Maybe that's you, but I would say that's all the more reason to show hospitality to those who don't have any or don't have many close friends. Hospitality isn't done for our benefit. It's done for the new person's benefit. One of the definitions for love in the scriptures is to place someone else's good ahead of your own. That's what love means according to the Bible. And in that way, that's exactly what we're doing when we show hospitality. We are loving the other person. We are loving the stranger. When you decide to make yourself a little more uncomfortable by walking over to the new person or the out of place person and striking up a conversation with them, what you are doing is that you are putting them ahead of yourself. You're putting their comfort above your own because here's the thing, chances are that new person, they already feel awkward. They feel plenty awkward. So hospitality is when we say to ourselves, I'm willing to embrace a little more awkwardness if it means that they feel less awkward. It's putting their good ahead of our own. It, it's, it's loving other people put into action. And because of that, hospitality is of incredible importance to God. But I do want you to see that it's not just that hospitality is of great importance. It's also of great consequence. So pick our passage back up with me in verse eight. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. In other words, he gets it. He understands. Zacchaeus understands what my kingdom is all about. So catch this. In the story, Jesus says that he's coming over for dinner to Zacchaeus' house. And just by that act of inclusion, something changes in Zacchaeus. He immediately says that he is going to give half of his possessions, half of his wealth to the poor, and anything that he has stolen from anybody through his profession, he is going to pay back four times over. Just so we're clear, that is the majority of his wealth that he is prepared to give away at this point in the story. Now, we don't know exactly how wealthy this guy was, but no matter what, that's a big deal, right? Like not even the most charitable of celebrities give away a majority of their wealth. That makes even Oprah look kind of JV, right? But what we're witnessing here in the story is the hospitality of Jesus changing a person from the inside out. Because Zacchaeus now has Jesus, he no longer needs his wealth. So he gives it away. And because of that heart change, Jesus says of Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Now, just to make sure we don't hyper-spiritualize that statement in the passage, when Jesus says salvation has come to this house, he doesn't just mean that Zacchaeus said a prayer and now he's gonna go to heaven when he dies. He means Zacchaeus has been rescued out of his former life and into a new one. He has been changed as a human being as a result of this hospitality, this inclusion from Jesus. Jesus uses hospitality to change people. 
This was a big part of what happened in the early church. If you study any church history, take a look at this quote from author John Mark Comer. He says this, Historians argue that hospitality is the primary way that the gospel spread at such a rapid pace. From a few hundred people eating together in an upper room in Jerusalem to over half of the population of the Roman Empire in just three centuries, the early Christians did this with no political power, no legal protection, under waves of persecution and millions eaten alive in the arena, with no internet, no sound systems, no printing press, no church buildings, no stage and no celebrity pastors, the gospel just spread from one house to the next, from one table to the next, over bread and wine, and it changed the course of human history. Hospitality, quite literally, can change the world. It did, and it still can. If you're a follower of Jesus, God wants to invite you into this long tradition his people have always had from the very beginning. He wants to use your hospitality to change things in the world. There's some debate, but most people think this is what the author of Hebrews was trying to say with that odd sounding passage we read earlier about showing hospitality to angels. So there's an Old Testament passage where God's people welcome strangers into their homes who turned out to be angels. More than likely, the author of Hebrews is trying to use that story as a way of saying, in essence, you have no idea what God might use your hospitality to accomplish. One central thing that God wants to use to change the world is you and me as followers of Jesus befriending strangers, showing them the love and compassion of Jesus and welcoming them into friendship in God's family. Think about it like this. Um, Charlotte and Knoxville are alike in that they are both cities with no shortage of churches. There's no shortage of churches in Knoxville or in Charlotte with solid teaching, with good music, with solid programming. Probably plenty of churches here have all of those things. What I would argue should set Citizens Church apart is being a church of consistent, countercultural, sacrificial hospitality. There's a question that I love asking people who come around and stick around at City Church. Usually you can't ask them right off the bat because they get weirded out, but I I usually like to wait a little bit, wait a few months, and when people stick around, when they decide to make City Church their church family, I love to ask them the question. I, I try to ask it of almost every single person. After they've been around a while, I say, hey, what made you want to stay here? Like, there's no shortage of churches. There's no shortage of churches that do what we're doing way better than we do it with way more, way more money than we do it. Why did you decide to stay with our church family? And I'll tell you right now, nine times out of 10, people say something like this. Well, we visited a lot of churches, but when we showed up at City Church, somebody, usually it's multiple people, came up and talked to us. They took the time to get to know us. People acted like they actually cared that we were there. They wanted to get to know us. They wanted to know what we did for a living. They wanted to invite us to things. That's why we stayed here. Do you know how many uncomfortable, awkward conversations had to happen for that to be the dynamic? I would bet a lot. 
Like I bet it's in the dozens every single Sunday that there are awkward conversations happening all around the sanctuary and yet God is using it to welcome people in to God's family. Hospitality changes people. It just does. And I think one reason that we know that hospitality changes people is because if we are followers of Jesus in the room, hospitality is actually what changed us. Notice the last line in our passage from Luke, verse 10. It says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You may have not thought about it quite in these terms, but Jesus seeking and saving the lost is hospitality. You see, hospitality doesn't actually start with us as followers of Jesus mustering up some courage to walk across the room and talk to somebody. Hospitality actually starts with understanding what Jesus did for us. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. Remember that at that time, you, as in all of us, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners. That word foreigners there is the same word, xenos from earlier, foreigners, strangers. You were strangers to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So according to Ephesians, here is what happened at the cross. You and I were foreigners to God. We were strangers to God. We were alienated from him because of our sin. There was a distance there between us that we were not able or willing to cross. There was a disconnect there that you and I could not resolve on our own. And not only that, but we were strangers, it says, to the promises of God. We had no idea what it felt like to belong to the kingdom, to enjoy its benefits, to participate in God's unbelievable promises to his people. All of that was foreign to us and we were foreign to it. But what Jesus did on the cross changed all of that. He bridged the divide. He walked across the room. Jesus sought us out when we were strangers as the hymn goes. He gave up his comfort and his convenience for our good. And he did all of that to bring us into God's family. We who were once far off have been brought in and brought near by the precious blood of Christ. And he did that by dealing with the sin that made us strangers in the first place. By dealing with the the foreignness from God that our sin had created. And because he did that, we now get to participate in the promises and the family of God because of Jesus. And he invites us to show the same type of hospitality towards others in return. What happened for us and to us in the cross of Jesus is the single greatest act of hospitality that the world has ever seen. Jesus sought us out when we were strangers. He welcomed us when we were alienated from him. That is the truest expression of hospitality. This echoes throughout the Old Testament too. Nearly any time that God encourages his people in the Old Testament to show hospitality to the people around them, he says, welcome the strangers in your midst because you were strangers and God welcomed you. Us learning to show hospitality towards others actually starts with us understanding that we are first recipients of hospitality. God isn't asking us to do anything that he has not already done for us a million times over. And when you understand that, 
When you get that, when you comprehend that with your mind and with your heart and with your being, then walking across the room and introducing yourself to someone seems like a relatively small ask. Befriending someone who's different than you is a relatively small ask. I'm not saying it's not awkward. I'm not saying it's not uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's not difficult for a lot of us. I'm saying it is a natural response to what Jesus has done for us. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And his mission has now become ours. There is no grander, more worthwhile mission in the world than what God is inviting us into through Jesus. So let's join him in that. My prayer for Citizens Church is that you guys would become a community of world-changing hospitality. That when a person walks into this room on Sundays, they see a group of people that want to get to know them, that want them around, that want them included, that want them to not feel awkward. And that that would mark you as a church family, that people would be welcomed in, and they would experience the love and the compassion of Jesus, and that it would start through your hospitality towards them. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you first and foremost that you welcomed us. And God, thank you that you did that despite us not deserving it despite us not earning it. You did that because of your great love for us. God, my prayer is that we would encounter that love, that acceptance, that compassion. Maybe that some people would encounter that for the very first time this evening. Maybe some of us who are in the room who have forgotten how incredible that is, maybe we would rediscover it. God, I want to ask that we would that we would truly discover and rest in that acceptance from you. That we would understand that that we are Zacchaeus. We were Zacchaeus and you welcomed us in. You sought us out when we are strangers and you brought us into your family by the blood of your son, Jesus. Father, would you help us to remember and then through remembering, would you help us to practice? help us to respond to your hospitality with our own towards the world around us. Would you make Citizens Church a church of world-changing, countercultural, strange in the best way possible hospitality. And God, would you change Charlotte because of it? We ask this in your name. Amen.